Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Uh, there's two readings tonight. The first one is from Leviticus chapter 24, starting at verse 1. And it can also be seen on the screen behind me. Leviticus chapter 24, starting at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, command the Israelites to bring you pure oil from crushed olives for the light in order to keep the lamp burning continually. Aaron is to tend it continually from evening until morning before the Lord outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting. This is a permanent statute throughout your generations. He must continually tend the lamps on the pure gold lampstead in the Lord's presence. Take fine flour and bake it into 12 loaves. Each loaf is to be made with four quarts. Arrange them in two rows, six to a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. Place pure frankincense near each, each row so that it may serve as a memorial portion for the bread and a fire offering to the Lord. The bread is to be set out before the Lord every Sabbath day as a perpetual covenant obligation on the part of the Israelites. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in a holy place for it is the holiest portion for him from the fire offerings to the Lord. This is a permanent rule. And the second reading is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message, but commending ourselves to every person's conscience in God's sight by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we uh, think about the weather and how uncontrollable it is and how unknowable it is for us, but not for you. You are in control of all things and you know all things. And Father, now as we come to turn to your word and particularly these two passages, Father, we ask that you would help us, you who know all things, that you would help us to see what's happening here to understand what it is that you've said and that we would grasp what it means for us and what it means for the Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, all of us know what it's like to long to be somewhere or to long to see someone. 
You know, you've got the holiday plan, the holidays booked in and you long for it or you're just going to count down until it comes. That feeling of longing. Some of us, there are just uh, events in the year that we love and long for. We look forward to Christmas, look forward to your birthday and you count down and look forward to them. Some of us haven't seen family or some friends who live a long way away for a long time now. COVID has kind of trapped us in, locked us down and we couldn't travel. And so there's that sense of longing to see people and to be with people. You might have a friend perhaps that you haven't seen for ages and maybe lost touch with, maybe things ended strangely or regretfully and you miss them and you want to reconnect and make things right and you kind of long for that relationship. Maybe someone close to you has passed away and you miss them and you remember and you long just to be with them again and just to see them again and maybe you even regret uh, taking for granted moments that are now that are now gone you know what it's like to miss old friends and to miss new friends and to miss family and to miss those who have passed away and there are just people that we love being with and love being around and love spending time with and that's the dynamic that we've seen in this book Leviticus over the last term or so, God longed to be with his people and his people, when they are at their best, sometimes longed to be with him. And even though his people were never very good at being friends with him, he always longed to be with them and to spend time with them. And we've seen over this past term in this book, just how hard it was and how much effort it took for God to be able to be with his people, but how important it was to him. And you might not think as you sit here, you might not think much about the fact that God loves spending time with you. You might find that hard to swallow, you know, perhaps you find it hard to think that anyone would like spending time with you, but God especially. But that's how it is. It's true. God loves spending time with you and has gone to great lengths to make it happen. And so what I'm hoping we'll see tonight from this final snippet we're going to look at from the book of Leviticus, I'm hoping that we will again marvel at what God has done for us in Jesus and that we would see it again maybe with more clarity than we've seen it before and that we would see how much God wants to make his presence with us possible. Now this is our very last sermon on this book and I don't know when you first heard more than a term ago that we were going to spend a term on the book of Leviticus. I don't know what you felt or thought about in that moment, but if you said to me that you were skeptical or were less than enthusiastic about it, I would believe you. 
That wouldn't be a surprise to me. The book is so foreign and so intimidating and so complex and so repetitive and maybe even sometimes feels a bit irrelevant or like it's been superseded. But from week one, we've said that Leviticus is good news. And I hope that you have seen that. I hope that you felt that. And since week one, we've been leaning in to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And what I hope is that you've seen and experienced a little glimpse of the truth of that verse, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. And I hope, as we've spent the last nine weeks or so in this weird, strange, neglected, overlooked book, as foreign and as intimidating as it's been, I hope that you have learned to love or at least appreciate more this book. And so as we kind of bring this sermon series into land, we're finishing here this whole sermon series. We're finishing it all with a passage about rules, about bread and a lamp. And maybe that to you feels somewhat anticlimactic and that's probably fair, but it just, it feels right to me to finish this series in a passage that is weird and foreign and odd and overlooked and maybe feels at first glance like it's a bit anticlimactic because it just reminds me of the start. That's how we started. All those Feelings is how we started, and it just feels right to me that we would end the same way. We've looked at all these things, sacrifices and fire consuming people and priests and goats and atonement and blood and death and life and holiness and all these things. And now the big finale is bread and a lamp. And it just, it, something about that feels right. To me. So let's, let's see. What I want to do is make sure we're clear about what this is and, and what's happening, where we are. And then I want to zoom out just to remind us what this book is doing. And then I want to zoom out again just to see where all this fits in the universe. And then I want to take all those threads and try and kind of gather them up and weave them in to what does it mean for us and what does it mean for Jesus? So let's, uh, let's jump in. Leviticus 24 from verse 1. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Command the Israelites to bring you pure oil from crushed olives for the light in order to keep the lamp burning continually. Aaron is to tend it continually from evening until morning before the Lord outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting. This is a permanent statute throughout your generations. He must continually tend the lamps on the pure gold lampstand in the Lord's presence. Okay, so we're in the tabernacle. We're, we're in the holy place. We're not in the most holy place. That's a place that only one man can enter once a year. We're not in there. We're in the outer bit, the holy place, the first room. And in this room, there's a lamp there. And the lamp kind of looks a bit like a tree. 
It's got seven branches, and at the end of each branch, there are these little oil burners, candle things, lamps. And the Israelites were to bring oil, pure olive oil, so that these lamps can be lit and they can burn continually. And you can see how important it is that it burns continually because God says it over and over again. Verse 2, in order to keep the lamp burning continually. Verse 3, Aaron is to tend it continually. Verse 4, he must continually tend the lamps. So whatever it is, it's very important that it's continuous. These lamps have to be on. Now we'll come back to some of the other odd things in here in a moment, but that's, that's the lamps. For some reason, very important, they have to be on. Now, the bread. This is from verse 5. He says, Take fine flour and bake it into 12 loaves. Each loaf is to be made with four quarts. Arrange them in two rows, six in a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. Place pure frankincense near each row so that it may serve as a memorial portion for the bread and a fire offering to the Lord. The bread is to be set out before the Lord every Sabbath day as a perpetual covenant obligation on the part of the Israelites. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in a holy place for it is the holiest portion for him from the fire offerings to the Lord. This is a permanent rule. So 12 loaves of bread. And, and these are big loaves. You're meant to use four quarts of flour. Now, I had no idea how much a quart was, so I looked it up. Turns out a quart is a quarter of a gallon or one thirty-second of a bushel, which is still a thing apparently that we talk about. So I was like, okay, I don't know what either of those things are. So I kept on Googling and it turns out that a quart is 0.95 of a litre. So four quarts is 3.8 litres. 3.8 litres of flour for every loaf, 12 loaves. Feels like a lot of flour to me. These are big loaves and they're probably unleavened bread, like flat bread. So they seem like, the, like they're pretty big. They're all placed in rows or more probably piles on this table. And there's a bit of frankincense there too for a bit of something, something, a bit of je ne sais quoi, just a bit of, just to make it nice. So, that, so the fresh bread is put out on the table every Sabbath as a perpetual covenant obligation, verse 8. Other translations put it, an eternal covenant or a covenant forever. So again, whatever it is, sounds very important. And then verse 9, every week Aaron and his sons are to eat the bread, all the bread in a holy place, for it is the holiest portion for him. So you, you get the vibe that these lamps and this bread 
is very important. This is all very exultant language for bread and a lamp. In the whole book, this is the only thing, the one only offering that is described as an eternal covenant, a perpetual covenant. So it's clearly important. Whatever it is, this is the only thing like it. Very important. But why? Of all the things, why is this so important? I'm just going to hold that thought, pause there, because I want to zoom out. And I want to remind us of what's happening in this book. Because way back at the start, in week one, we, we noticed the way that Exodus finished, the way that Leviticus started, chapter one, verse one, and then how the next book, Numbers 1, 1, also started. Back in Exodus, at the, at the very end, Moses had constructed the tabernacle, God's glory arrived, and then Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle. And that was odd and a big deal. And then Leviticus, in case we kind of missed that bit, Leviticus 1.1, the book starts and says, the Lord spoke to Moses from the tent of meeting. Moses outside, God's inside. And then in the next book, so then like Leviticus happens, Numbers chapter one, verse one, it starts and says, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting. From the tent of meeting, in the tent. And this signals for us that the gist of the book, what happens in the middle is how is presence made possible? How do we or anyone get in to be with him? Because as we saw in week one, God's presence is precious, but his presence is also perilous. Remember Aaron's sons, they like wanted to barge in their own way and fire from the Lord struck out and consumed them like they are a sacrifice. And we were reminded that if you enter God's presence without having paid the penalty for sin, then you will pay the penalty for sin. You will not be listened to. God, the great infinite holy God of the universe, cannot just be approached by sinful, unholy, treasonous people like us. And so the crisis of this book, the, the point of this book is how do we get back to God's presence? How do we get back to Eden? So let's uh, zoom out again. That's the book. Let's zoom out again and just consider how all this fits into the universe. And I'm thinking of Genesis. We looked at this book, these opening kind of chapters back when we were in lockdown and in, in particular, Genesis chapter one. And what we saw back then is that when God creates everything, the universe, the cosmos is a temple palace that God was going to dwell in his creation. The whole creation was his temple, which means that when we think creation, we should think temple or tabernacle. And when we think tabernacle, we should think creation. And 
With the lamp here in Leviticus 24, we're meant to be thinking of two things from Genesis chapter one in particular. Number one, on day one, we're told that God said, let there be light and there was light. That's number one. Number two, on day four, we're told that God creates the lights. He says, let there be lights in the sky. And then there was the sun and the moon. But when God creates the lights, the actual word is lamps. Let there be lamps. And except for Genesis chapter one, every other time the word is used in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, any time except for Genesis 1, the word refers to the lamps in the tabernacle. That's number two. Let there be light, let there be lamps. And the point of that is that the tabernacle is like a mini creation. It's like a mini mobile Eden. And we've talked about that a few times across the last term. This is why Leviticus is such an important book. Because if Genesis is about losing Eden and, and longing for Eden, and then if Exodus is about regaining Eden in the sense that they construct the tabernacle, it's like a mini Eden, and so it's regained, then Leviticus is about re-entering Eden. How do we get back in? Which is very significant. Okay, so let's just recap on the way in. So from the big, when we think tabernacle, we should think creation. We need to think Eden. Genesis chapter one, day four, let there be lamps, which signals that the tabernacle is a mini creation, a mini Eden. That's the big. And then in, the point of the book is how do we get from God speaking to Moses from the tent to God speaking to him in the tent? How, how do we get back to God's presence? How can presence be made possible? And then in again, we've got these loaves on a table in front of a lampstand. And this, where told is the most important thing, the most important offering in the whole book. It's the only eternal covenant in the book. And of all the things that Aaron and his sons get to eat, we're told this is the holiest portion of all the things. And so with all of that, what does the bread and the lamp mean? And why are they so important? Well, first of all, the 12 loaves of bread symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. This is God's people. It's a, it's a picture of Israel. But what's happening? What is, it, what is it symbolizing? Well, one of the most famous prayers in the whole Bible, a prayer that's still prayed today by Jews and by, and by Christians around the world is a prayer that's known as the priestly blessing or the Aaronic blessing. 
not the ironic blessing, but the Aaronic blessing, Aaron's blessing. And it's from Numbers chapter 6, just the next book. And this prayer from Numbers 6 is what the loaves and the lamps are about. The prayer goes like this. Numbers chapter 6 from verse 24. The prayer is, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. The loaves are Israel and the light of the lamp is the light of God's presence. His glory shining on his people, his face turned towards them. His, his blessing them, his protecting them, his being gracious towards them, looking with favor on them, giving them peace. In other words, the lamps and the loaves were a picture of presence made possible. The lamps and these loaves were a symbolic summary of the whole book. God's presence, his glory amongst his people and the light of his blessing shining on them. Presence made possible. This is why the lamps and the loaves are the holiest thing. It was because they represented the whole thing. They, they represented the point of the whole thing. They represented the heart of the whole thing. That's why they were the only thing called an eternal covenant. Because God's presence, his glory amongst his people and the light of his blessing shining upon them is the point of all things. Everything is headed towards this. Which means that when we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul takes all of those threads and he weaves them all in. And, and this chapter 2 Corinthians 4 is the conclusion to a very complicated argument. And next year, we're going to come back to 2 Corinthians and spend some time in this book. But here, I just want to read a bit of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And as we read it, what I'm hoping is that you'll hear Leviticus, you'll hear the loaves and the lamps, you'll hear the priestly blessing, all those threads. I'm hoping you'll hear them as we read it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll start at verse 3. It says, but if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. For God who said, let light shine out of, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you hear, do you feel those like Leviticus priestly blessing vibes? You know, verse six, let light shine out of darkness. That's kind of Genesis one creation thread. 
And then verse six, the light of his face, his glory shining upon you. But here, the face shining upon you is the face of Jesus. And it's not shining on the 12 tribes of Israel. It's shining on us who have put our trust in him as Lord. And then the light, the light that shines is the light of the gospel. Verse four, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's all, it's all here. And what Paul is doing here is he's describing what's happening behind the scenes whenever a person puts their trust in Jesus. Or this is what is happening or what would happen if you were to put your trust in Jesus. All of us have a unique story about what God has been doing in our life and how he has brought us to putting our faith in him. And it's all, everyone's story is unique and different. But underneath all of our stories, in one sense, they're all the same. They're all 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is the behind the scenes for all of us. Right? Verse 4, our minds were blinded. We couldn't see the light of the gospel. The whole thing is boring. Jesus is boring. Everything is stupid. Everything else is more interesting. You know, money is more interesting. Food is more interesting. Wine, footy, beer, tennis, golf, swimming, bushwalks, cars, motorbikes, boyfriends, girlfriends, painting, poetry, history, career, everything. Everything's more interesting. Anything's more interesting. And Jesus is so boring and Easter is so boring and the Bible is so boring because we're blind. And it doesn't matter how bright the lights are or how much the sun is shining. If you're blind, it's just darkness. But then, one day, God says, let there be light. And the eyes of our minds are opened. The eyes of our hearts are opened. And suddenly, we see Jesus for who he really is. And, and all of a sudden, the cross is not boring. It's captivating. And it's not weakness. It's strength. And it's not foolishness. It's wisdom. And Jesus is not boring. He's interesting and, and infinitely valuable and glorious and fascinating and impressive and a treasure. And you see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The lamps and the loaves are the gospel the light of his presence, the light of the glory of his face shining upon you is, verse 4, the light of the gospel. And the priestly blessing, Numbers chapter 6, that encapsulates the lamps and the bread, the priestly blessing is the gospel. It's the message of Jesus. Where is God present with us? in Jesus on the cross. Where do we see his glory? In Jesus on the cross. 
Where is his face turned towards you in Jesus on the cross? Where is his blessing found? It's found in Jesus on the cross. Where is his protection found in Jesus on the cross? Where is he gracious towards you? Where does he show his favor upon you? Where does he give you peace? It's in Jesus on the cross. The loaves are us. And the lamp is the Lord Jesus and his cross. The priestly blessing, all these things pointed to Jesus and were fulfilled in him. We've seen a lot of things in the book of Leviticus. And the point of understanding what God is doing in Leviticus is to help us to understand what God is doing in Jesus. And therefore, what God has done and is doing in us. In Jesus, in his cross and in his resurrection, everything that was promised and was symbolized has been purchased and is realized. Let me just remind you of a few of the things that we've seen across this last term. Jesus is God present among a sinful world. Jesus is the sacrifice for sin. Jesus is the sacrifice for atonement. He is the ransom from wrath and he is the purification for sin. He conquers and destroys the source of ritual impurity when he conquers death itself. Through him, we have access to God's very throne room in prayer. He is our high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Through him, we have the spirit, God's very presence among us and in us, transforming us from the inside out to be more holy, to be more Christ-like. He is our jubilee. In him, we inherit all things. In him, we are released from our slavery to sin. In him, our future rest is secured in a resurrection body, just like his, in a new creation. In him, we find freedom to be who God says we are. And another way to say freedom is to say holiness. Those two things are the same thing. Our view of Jesus can sometimes get a bit murky and a bit fuzzy, but this book, Leviticus, helps us to see Jesus with even more sharpness and even more clarity. One of the objectives of this whole series has been to help us to understand and to admire and to appreciate Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us and given us and achieved for us more than we ever did before. So like at the start, I don't know what you first thought when you heard we were going to spend a whole term on the book of Leviticus, but what I hope you've seen and experienced is a little glimmer of the truth of 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. 
And I hope you've learnt to love this book, this weird, neglected book. And I hope you've learnt to love it, not just for itself, but I hope you've learned to love it because it's helped you to see and admire and appreciate Jesus and love him more because he is the one in and through whom God has made presence possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and for all that he is. So many things he's done so much and it's like this infinite facets to the to the jewel and father we just pray and thank you for the book of leviticus and what we've been able to see in it that we can see clearer who jesus is and what he's done and father we do pray for each one of us that you would help us to continue to cling to him and that in him you would bless us and protect us that in him your face would shine upon us, that you'd be gracious to us in him and that you would look on us with favour and in him bring us peace. And we pray that in his name. Amen.